Good morning, everyone. We're going to continue in this worship service by making space for God to do his work through the reading and understanding of his word through teaching. So I'm going to invite you now to join me in a word of prayer, and then we will read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's pray. God, would you be with us in this time we have together? Lord, help us to grow in our wisdom and understanding. Help us to take what we learn and put it into our lives, embody it through our works of Christian uh, selflessness, of, of service, and through love to neighbor, all in the goal of loving you well and to bring glory to your name. Your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Continuing in our sermon series called Humbled this morning. So let me read to you a text on humility. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, two verses 11 and 12 say this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we have told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. No one really talks like this anymore, do they? As Pastor Will Willimon once wrote on this text, it's the sort of loser mentality that makes Christians so troublesome. It really makes no good practical sense what we just read. I can't really imagine the words, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, would make it on a high school locker room in big font anytime soon. For some context, first, first Thessalonians is thought to be the earliest of Paul's letters. We learn the history of what inspired this letter in Acts chapter 17. And after just one month of being in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas had birthed a baby church. It was full of both Greeks and Jews, but trouble was brewing for this little baby church. In fact, Paul and Silas were forced to flee, and it broke their hearts because they had grown to love in just this short time this baby church that they had planted. So after some time, Paul sends Timothy one of his apprentices, to visit this church in Thessalonica. Timothy gives him a word that even though they only had that short time together and that this church was experiencing persecution, that they are actually doing quite well. And so Paul writes this letter to affirm and encourage this church who was thriving amidst the most impossible of circumstances. And he's 
giving them the tools and the path and the clarifying language as to how they can continue to do this wonderful work that they have started. I wonder how many of us carry this type of redeemed ambition spoken about in the beginning of this text in verse 11. As we go about our everyday life, are we making it our ambition to lead it quietly? Of course, we live in a culture that is so hopelessly motivated by reward. We're so steeped in this culture of reward and fame that I think if we were truly honest and we could confess this morning some of the thoughts that we think but don't always say, they might look like or sound like this. If I don't have the biggest house on the block, am I really a good businessman? If I am not using the internet to garnish hundreds, thousands, millions of followers, am I really of any significance to the culture? If I don't have the biggest church, am I really a good pastor? But Paul is taking this idea of ambition and totally turning it on its head. Strive to live a quiet life where no one knows your name? He's really inviting us to trade in this pursuit of fame that is so prevalent and pervasive in our culture. We don't even know all the ways in which it motivates us subconsciously. And he says, trade in that fame for a little bit of faithfulness. In light of this scripture, we might even ask, who really is in heaven's hall of fame? Are there people in heaven's hall of fame that we have never heard their name, that lived a quiet, ordinary life? Now, I know we love the Billy Grahams and the Rick Warrens and They've made a big impact and taught many and preached the gospel and many were saved or are being saved. But I wonder if too often we lift these people up when in reality we are all on the shoulders of giants. The giants of those who came before lived selfless lives, raising the banner of Christ so high that their names even disappeared into history. But yet we live in the goodness. We live and embrace all that they gave to us in their investment, in their time on earth. We are inheritors of their legacy. And so they are high on God's list, even though we do not know their name. This teaching is all the more remarkable, this teaching on ambition, because it is given to just a tiny group of people amidst a dominating empirical 
force of the Roman Empire that was so clearly winning and bent on domination that it was trying to get rid of any competitors that came on to the landscape. That was the approach of the Roman Empire. There were no external signs of success for this little church in Thessalonica. And if we're being honest, when we're talking about humility, there's a piece of us that experiences fear. And one of the fears comes from, if we choose the path of humility, if we see others who have not chosen that path, that are succeeding, it will frustrate us. And we will lose out on what the world might offer us. This is not a new fear or frustration. This is a practical experience for many. This idea that those who cut corners, those who break the rules, those who don't follow after God's way, for a time, can garnish a lot of power. The prophet Jeremiah puts it this way. He says in chapter 12 of Jeremiah, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Psalm 37 is a beautiful answer to this question raised by the prophet in his day of distress. Hear how the scriptures speak to one another. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Jeremiah speaks to us in that way that is only natural. He says, Lord, you're righteous, but would you hear my complaint? Would you hear my question why is my wicked neighbor prospering when they are breaking all of the rules? It doesn't seem very fair. But Psalm 37 reminds us that the way of the wicked has an expiration date. 
that we should never fret when evil is momentarily triumphant because our fretting will cause us to become the very thing that we do not like. We will be tempted to use the same tactics of the world and we will make a case for ourselves that they are justified because of our righteous cause. But Psalm 37 and 1 Thessalonians 4 remind us that our ambition is to be in a radical trust, in the pursuit of the kingdom of God at all times. So we don't need to pursue fame or notoriety so much as we seek a humble life that makes God famous in all the earth. We trade our fame for his fame. Psalm 27 says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. This morning, hear me if you are feeling down. If you're watching others succeed above you and you are frustrated by the way that they're doing it, do not worry. God sees you. One day your righteous reward will shine like the dawn. And if you are up, hear me. Would you never confuse the promotion or get consumed by getting higher and higher on life's ladder so much that you forget your neighbor? And that you forget that your platform is really there so that you can give to those who need it most and get lost in compassion and grace. And if you do, you too will find, as the psalmist says, the desires of your heart. And there is a personal element for those who are doing well. It's not just giving financially, it's also, as Mother Teresa once said pointedly, that it is very fashionable to talk about the poor, but unfortunately, it is not fashionable to talk with them. Jesus didn't just give to the poor. He went and spoke and lived and hugged and healed in the places where no one else was willing to go. In fact, many times the reason why we miss seeing Jesus is because we are looking too high. We're looking for him on earthly thrones and platforms, for him to make an impact and be relevant in the culture. But scripture bears witness to this truth about Jesus that he is in some mighty low places and he is insecure about it at all. Jesus wasn't afraid to get low, to associate with sinners, sinners like you and sinners like me. 
And it is an offense to God to think that if we get high enough that he will finally see us. That what we need to do is get higher and be more relevant for God to finally acknowledge that we are making a contribution. Because he saw us before we were even born as he was knitting us together in our mother's womb when we were vulnerable and could do nothing. He loved us perfectly then. And Jesus teaches us that each one of us can live in light of this beautiful gift. In fact, he sees it as an investment from the kingdom of heaven in each and every one of us. And he says, do not waste this investment. Do not hide your light. Do not take what God has given you and bury it in the ground. This investment that God has given each person is so that we can make an investment in somebody else. And then that investment will grow. We are here today because faithful, ordinary Christians have made that investment. This church is built off of ordinary Christians, most of whom we don't know all of their names, but their investment has built something beautiful and sacred. So it's so much more important that we go find somebody Go to some place that really needs an investment to look low and to get low, to get humble and make it our ambition to lead an ordinary life, to work with our hands, to not be dependent on anybody else, but be free to bear witness and act truthfully and out of a place of Christian faithfulness. And of course, this is not easy. Everything in us wants to grab the spotlight, it seems like. But when you get low, you most certainly will have times where you get dirt on you, where things don't go your way, and you most certainly will skin your knee if you're getting low. But as Brendan Manning once said, on the last day, Jesus will look us over, not for our medals, diplomas, or honors, but for our scars. These scars are a testimony of a life spent giving our best away for the sake of those who need it most. Scars hard won and hard fought on the battle of love and human decency. The great German poet of a century ago, Rainier Rilke, in his letter to young poets, says of art and artists what I think can be said about ministry and ministers, about Christian growth and Christians, and about human development and human beings. He writes, being an artist means not numbering and counting, but ripening like a tree, which doesn't force its sap and stands confidently in the storms of spring, not afraid that oh, afterward summer may not come. It does come. It comes only though to those who 
are patient, who are there as if eternity lay before them, so unconcernedly silent and vast. May we learn this every day of our lives. Learn it with pain. Patience is everything. Jesus had no public life for 30 years of a 33-year life. He simply prepared for three decades, building a solid foundation that no betrayal, no death could shatter. He was fully human and fully divine. And he didn't live just for the show. He taught and fulfilled his ultimate mission in only three years. That is a 10 to 1 ratio of preparation over accomplishment. We are ever in a rush when we think life depends on us. But when we realize that we are carrying the torch only for a season, and there's a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, and there are those who God is raising up to carry the torch long after us, then we can be patient. We can lose ourselves in the grand story that God is telling Therefore, it is so much more important that our ambition is to let us raise up the name of God. And leaders may come and go and speak a vital word in different seasons, but we should never confuse those human beings with the God that they are lifting up. And we should also give thanks for those whom we have never heard of. But nonetheless, we stand on their shoulders and call ourselves giants. One last little story. In Time, Time Magazine in the year 2000, wanted to name a theologian America's best theologian, and he responded this way, best is not a theological category. Friends, church, family, may we remember as Stanley Hauerwas teaches, best is not a Christian category. What a relief. Now we can get along with the work that God has called us to do. Spending our time on things that will last. And find that our joy is in the giving of glory to God. Let us pray. Lord, we come. Will you make our hearts humble? We come to learn how to live ordinary lives, making it our ambition to love extraordinarily in the way that you have called us to. 
Lord, may you detach us from the things of this world that wish to um, force us into places we don't want to go. Will you just confront the lies in our head that say we need to be this or that? And will you show us how you want to work mightily through each and every moment of our lives as we commit ourselves to humbly walk after you and to lose ourselves in your love and work in the world. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.